in the past, there's, there's been a really big focus on trying to automate so that we can put in assessments and put in all of these things to act as a filter because we've had so many candidates. You know, we've had this, you know, um, real choice uh, of people in the market and really been able to make them through, jump through just as many hoops of, uh, as we've wanted, whereas now people are really trying to kind of Marie Kondo their recruitment process. My next guest runs the biggest and most successful talent event in Australia and New Zealand. She has been in talent acquisition and attraction uh, for around 20 years, wearing many different hats, uh, from recruitment manager to brand acquisition manager, uh, head of L&D and general manager. She's often rubbing shoulders with incredible humans who lead high-performing talent traction teams, all of whom are looking to introduce innovation to attract or retain talent within their organisation. Noted in her LinkedIn profile as a Swiss Army knife of talent, Jo Volen, welcome to Talent Pleasers. <laughs> Thanks, David. Yes, Swiss Army Knife oh. does attract a lot of uh, comments from people that connect with me on LinkedIn. I love it. It's so true, though. You do so much. Uh, it's great to have you on the program. For those who don't know who ATC events are, can you tell us a little bit about ATC? Yeah, so, look, um, ATC stands for the Australasian Talent Conference, and uh, 15 years ago it was just a, the side hustle. It was, you know, it was it was the thing that, you know, Trevor and Kevin, who are the founders of, of ATC, um, put together because, there were HR events and there were agency events, but there wasn't really anything for this sort of, you know, emerging internal talent acquisition function that we've just seen um, really escalate um, and expand in the last 15 years. And so they put together their first event and, uh, you know, over the years it's just become the, the main gig now. Mm. We've known each other for a few years. I always okay. enjoy your company. We were just talking a little bit offline and, um, you referred to um, you know talent pools being reflecting more like talent puddles in a market like this. Yes, well, I can't um, I can't claim authorship of that quote. That was um, the wonderful Neil Gunning um, when I was uh, writing the State of Talent Acquisition report. We'd you know surveyed 144 different talent teams, and I called a lot of people. Um, in TA and, and interviewed them to add context to the report and uh, and so that's the that's the quote that uh, Neil provided. I hope he doesn't mind me yeah. identifying him. Uh, I'll just uh, move over, <laughs> Neil. Don't worry. Own it, Joe. But but yeah, I, when when we said that on the uh, digital event, so many it resonated with so many people. A lot of people come up to me and went, "Oh my god, that just really is how how we are feeling." It is a talent puddle. Um, we're, we're really, really struggling uh, in the market at the moment. Mm. So, I mean, you work with uh, and liaise with, with many talent teams, just made mention of the, um, the state, of, state of video, state of talent uh, in, in the market, uh, the report that you did, which is a really big undertaking. What are all the innovative ways that, that you're seeing uh, organisations in terms of them introducing strategies to secure talent in a market like this? Yeah, look, some teams have been preparing for a really long time, um, preparing in the sense of just resetting and adjusting the expectations of the business in terms of what you can expect in a, a market like this for people who have been in talent for a long time. Um, 
you know, we, we have operated in, in a market like um, that we thought it was going to be uh, similar to what we'd experienced in the past. But everyone I have spoken to has certainly said they have never seen the market quite like this. This is, this is the worst, which is why um, I kind of labelled it, you know, the perfect talent storm um, that we're in at the moment because there's no one problem. There's no one solution um, it, it's a real multitude of, of issues that people are facing. And um, so what, what are we predicting? Are we predicting it's, it's just going to get worse or, or there's light at the end of the tunnel? And Look, again, it depends on so many factors. Um, I think, um, you know, we've just been waiting to see what the US is going to do in terms of their um, financial position, you know, what that's going to do to the market. I mean, things, things could continue to be tough for a while. Um, unless the US uh, crashes the market and then uh, it'll be a whole other market again. So I think this is the, the you know, uh, not to use uh, the old phrase too much, but the, the VUCA sort of environment that we, we're in, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous, um, that we just need to keep finding and navigating our way through and be ready for it to change again on a dime. So I think in terms of how they're approaching it, going back to your original question, there's a lot of resetting of expectations. There's a lot of shifting resources into different directions. So um, like in the past, there's, there's been a really big focus on trying to automate so that we can put in assessments and put in all of these things to act as a filter because we've had so many candidates. You know, we've had this, you know, um, real choice uh, of people in the market and really We've been able to make them through, jump through just as many hoops of, uh, as we've wanted, whereas now people are really trying to kind of Marie Kondo their recruitment process. Uh, and if it doesn't spark joy, don't keep it because, um, you know, as quick as a candidate becomes available and, and shows an interest, um, they're gone again just like that. And there's always someone else willing to fast track and, and act faster. Um, so I think people are really looking at their processes saying, well, which bits do we really, really need? Um, and, you know, how can we provide a better experience and how can we, we move faster? Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of mistrust in the market. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people, a lot of candidates that have been to the puppet show, they've seen the strings, um, you know, they think they're joining this amazing culture and then they get in there and it's the exact opposite of, of what they were promised and, and what they expected. So with trust being low, um, I think, going with employee referrals is is a really smart choice because that's that's a social proofed introduction you know if i have a friend working at an organization and they say firsthand i've experienced it this is a great place to work and here's the reasons why then you know that's a person and a message that i can trust in versus an external brand message by a marketer that is obviously um you know there to, to try and sell you something. So, so, yeah, that's a really interesting point. So you're, you're playing on uh, the employee experience and, and talking about referrals and, and recruitment marketing, and there's this conduit that sits sort of in the middle, which is employer branding. Mm. Um, wh wh where do you see the role of employer branding, uh, the role that they're going to play in, in the near future? Oh, look, the, the super important role they need to play at the moment is, is really helping the candidate to do their due diligence and their research really quickly. So, you know, some people working fully remote is really important to them. B 
being able to go in or out of the or, or to some people you know they don't want to work at home anymore they want to be in the office like what what are my choices and how much autonomy do I have over that so are you going to dictate that I have to be in the office Monday Wednesday Friday or can I come in as it pleases me because you know I play soccer on a Tuesday and you're telling me I have to be in the office on a Tuesday that's it that doesn't really work for me um, so from that perspective I think you know, the quicker and easier you can make it for candidates to kind of tick off those hygiene factors and, and flex is, you know, no longer a, a benefit. It is a hygiene factor. Um, but I think it's the autonomy over flexibility is where the rubber is going to hit the road. Um, and they're the sorts of things that people want to find out pretty quickly and easily. You know, I, I think... Mm. Um, uh, a talent leader was saying to me that flex is the first question candidates ask, but when it comes to their decisions, it's salary. Yeah, right. And in terms, of, you, you touched on uh, referrals. If if someone doesn't know um, uh, anyone within the organisation, but they've got some sort of brand affiliation, um, it could be that they've you know Nike's knocking on their door and they've always wanted to. I oh, know I'd be really excited if it was Nike, but there could be some other brand affiliation that they have, how, how, how should companies go about communicating their brand? Um, what are some of the quick wins that they might be able to have um, outside of, you know, the things that are really, really important, but to yeah. help them with the candidate experience? Or make I think this is where those consumer companies, as you were mentioning, if it was Nike, there are some people out there, you know, Karen and our team is a massive sneaker fan. I mean, she has a ridiculous amount of, of sneakers um, and some of them stay in the box forever and some of them she wears but only on certain surfaces. I mean, you know, that's not me, but I'm quite sure if her favourite shoe company came knocking, that would be the opportunity that would, that, you know, that would make her look, right? So I think from a consumer perspective, I mean, they've, they've got access to, you know, large amounts of data that they should be able to then have the consumer marketing team and the recruitment team really working together to sort of say how can we really capitalise on some of that positive brand, you know, customer sentiment. Um, I guess we probably, no offence to the banks, you know, we need you, we need you to be safe and secure and, you know, do all those kind of things, but it doesn't really elicit the same kind of, you know, desire um, as, you know, some kind of retail brand that you that you might be particularly attracted to. So, uh I, I just think it's a it's a different situation for everyone, but I think you know every employee from the trust factor that works there needs to be looking to their network and their network's network to be able to tell that brand story, um, to be able to share what it's like working there and how wonderful it is, um, to be able to celebrate when new people are are coming in, and then from a marketer's perspective to be able to boost those stories. So you know if I share it, I share it with my network of you know. 10,000 people but if you're talking about the you know maybe the accountant in the organization maybe their LinkedIn network is only 900 people right um, mm -hmm. I mean my role is to connect with people whereas you know if you're an accountant maybe not so how do you actually then boost that accountant's wonderful positive experience um, in the organization and get that in front of other accountants that's that's a very easy simple you know um, programmatic advertising, you know, boosting, whatever you want to call it, um, opportunity there for talent teams that I see some people delving into, but not as many as, as they could for sure. 
Yeah. So uh, lots of people like watching this program. Uh, we do talk about video. What would be, what's the role of video um, that it will play in, in enabling uh, companies to tell those stories? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, short, sharp, you know, fun, engaging um, videos, you know, a day in the life of the testimonials that people can do. I mean, really, you know, having that available, you know, on your careers page. I mean, sometimes a careers page is just the most hidden page on the website. Now, at the moment, as soon as you shift market, you know, one of the first conversations you should be having is to say, how can we make our careers page uh, more targeted? How can we make it more visible? How can we make it more engaging? And to be able to um, share that. So when you're sharing, quite often people are sharing their ad that they've advertised somewhere versus you've got this stuff on your careers page. You know, bring people in and then, um, then you know, the, the further that goes, you've obviously got all of your ads and all of your roles there. And you go, oh, I know somebody who is an operations manager, you know, I'll shoot this over to someone. So I, I think, you know, people need to make um, better use of their, their careers pages um, and better use of their employees to tell great stories. I agree. I think one of the things that's really missing from most career websites is the ability to communicate the culture and, and values within the organisation. And I think there is uh, a real benefit to communicating uh, you know, those really important things to improve the candidate experience. What do you think is a win or two that they could have? Um, you mentioned uh, people want to know about salaries, they want to know about the flexibility in work. Mm. What about diversity and inclusion? Is that an important and hot topic in a market like this? Um, look, absolutely. I, you know, I think anyone um, looking to work somewhere is doing their own level of due diligence. For some people, it's around flex. For some people, it's about you know, what is the culture going to be like? You know, I, I have been in a room at a leadership retreat, 150 leaders in this massive organisation. I was one of three women in the room. So, you know, okay. I, re I really felt that, you know, I felt that the entertainment was all football related. I felt that the, you know, away activity was, you know, goal for um, fishing and, and it, you know, it was very geared to the majority and um, so I think, you know, that's, that's the basic due diligence most people want to do is, is get an understanding of, you know, can I, can I thrive here? You know, am I, mm. you know, am I going to be... Um, Are there people like me who work within the company? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, because I think, yeah, you know, I think work is one of those things where, you know, you, you, you do your job, but you, you want to connect with people. You, you want to know that, you know, you can... People will understand you, um, and they don't necessarily need to, you know, be you or look like you or those kind of things for that to happen. But you've got to find a way to really get that across, and for most people to understand that this is this is a place where you know you're going to be safe, you're going to be happy, and you can thrive. Well, I think it would certainly increase uh, the the talent puddle. Uh, if, if people did hone in on their career site and uh, turn it yeah. more into a pool, hopefully. Well, and, and so that's the, the thing with a, a talent pool, right, is, um, I mean, do we have the same amount of people we've always had in Australia? Yes and no. I mean, we, we've, we've had a lot of people return to home country. Like, there's a quarter of a billion people in the world working outside of their home country. 
So from a global mobility perspective, you know, humans have been on the move for a long, long time now. Uh, and it's never been easier to be on the move or as cheap to be on the move as it is in modern times. And so, uh, you know, the issue that we've got at the moment is, is some people have returned home. We've got international students uh, doing courses here at Australian universities, but they're dialing in and doing it remotely. So people who would normally pick up all of those hospitality jobs, this is why we see top restaurants trying to pay $90 an hour to get someone to wash the dishes and go, I can't find anyone to wash the dishes. Um, you know, there's a certain group of people that we rely on to, you know, students have always taken up that role. Um, and, you know, they're, they're just not available in the same kind of numbers anymore. Now, as the borders open, they're opening both ways. So, you know, we do have some people coming in and, and that's happening this week, you know, momentarily. That's great. We'll wait and see what that looks like. Um, but people are able to work remotely now. So there's a lot of people here going, you know, I just want to head home to New Zealand and go see mum and dad and I, I think I'll spend three months over there. From a resignation perspective, you know, organisations need to be holding on to as much great talent as they can at the moment. So how can they make Absolutely. those things happen without breaking the law? Because anywhere where mm. you're using the roads, essentially they want you to pay tax. Uh, so if you're over there and you're not here, then that that, comp, uh, that country wants you paying tax and, you know, you need to make sure that you've got your occupational health and safety, you know, workplace health and safety coverage, um, that you're abiding by local laws. Like, obviously, in the, in the US, um, a lot of people have healthcare built into, um, you know, their salary and things like that. So there's – it's a simple prospect to say, go, work from anywhere – um, but it's not without its challenges and, and they're new areas, much like vaccination policies. Um, this is a new area that, that both HR and, and talent need to be working on to, to make sure they have a solid plan around this. Out of curiosity, did that come out in the state of talent that you just did or is that something that you're, you think that companies will evolve into just to open up uh, their, their, their market a little bit more to attract talent? Maybe, and I'm thinking when I'm hearing what you're saying is, is that they do need to be looking overseas, making sure they comply, obviously. Mm. They're trying to attract the very best talent, which might not be in their local city, but it could be in Singapore yeah. with a friendly... I mean, um, we've, we've all seen that people, oh, no, you have to be in Melbourne, the team's in Melbourne, you know, you have to be in Melbourne. And now all of a sudden they're saying, oh, you know, you could probably be in Sydney or Brisbane, like, you know, but just still be on the East Coast sort of thing. Whereas companies need to be looking at this in a much bigger way and saying, you know, if um, Google have a huge amount of talent offshore in India and that talent is good enough to work for Google, chances are it's good enough to work for your organisation too. So, you know, there are more abundant talent markets for certain skills. I mean, there's a lot of people here in Australia looking for reactive, um, uh, native React developers. There are only so many of them here mm. onshore. So it's a, it's a pretty kind of like simple equation to say, where do they all live? You know, where, where are they? There are, we've never had more access to data, I could I could pull up PyTool or one of those tools in front of me right now and have that data at my fingertips within about 15 seconds. So I think, you know, talent teams um, have got it good in the sense that there is access to 
so much data. There's access to so much information. There's, there's, you know, we're in the cloud now, so there's access to people being able to work from anywhere in the world. But these are new challenges and hurdles um, that, you know, we just need to kind of step across to get there. But also doing the bigger picture thinking to sort of say, like, let's not set ourselves up for future heartache. If you've got somebody and they're moving somewhere with a, a much lower cost of living, at what point in time do you start paying them in local currency? I mean, if they just want to go and have a working holiday and be away for three months and they're still renting or paying their mortgage here in Australia, you obviously still want to make sure they can maintain that lifestyle. But what if someone makes that move for a longer period of time, or even in, in the sense of in the US, you know, you want to work in Kansas or you want to work in New York, there's a different cost of living there. So if you relocate one of your New York employees to Kansas and they keep their New York salary and then you hire someone local in Kansas and you pay them the local market, there's not a ton of pay equity there. So, you know, organisations uh, in Australia are still working so hard to try and fix the gender and diverse pay gap. We're not there yet. My fear with salary wars on at the moment is that um, who are these people that are negotiating aggressively and, and getting the big increases and what is that doing to your pay gap? And so, you know, in, in that hierarchy of what's important to your organisation, you know, is that pay equality first? Is it, you know, delivery of talent second? Is it the other way around? Um, you know, these are, these are all kind of scenarios um, and I think, you know, the scenario planning is something that, um, talent teams just need you need thinking time everyone's so busy at the moment um, and I think you know my um, observation would just be that they just need far more resources to be able to slow down and do some really great uh, and creative thinking around this um, versus you know people who are really approaching burnout they're very very tired they're very overworked um, you know, when it comes to creativity and accuracy in combination, uh, I, I don't know that working 60 hours a week is a magic combination to arrive at, at that place. Well, it's, we're, in, we're in new territory, there's no doubt about that. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, in the near future. And I do feel like companies will have to be flexible to attract and even retain um, staff, but um, you know, also be able to build that trust to be a vacuum to their organisation. Yeah, ab absolutely. And look, you know, the, the big prediction with, uh, you know, the great resignation, we've got 51% of companies already saying they're, they're feeling the effects. Um, but uh, the futurists slate it for, for March. Uh, so let's catch back up in March and uh, see if it came true. Well, let's do it. Well, thanks, uh, Joe, for joining me on Talent Places. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me.